You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Greetings, sire. Good morning to you. (laughs) How's it going? I mean, it's going. It's going all right. Like it or not, it's going. (laughs) Um... I, I just my recurring <laughs> little theme here. We're inching closer to the end of summer, and boy, oh, am I excited! Yeah. Boy, am I, we had we've had some autumn days, Oy. some like some like <laughs> summer days that are really just they're moving in the guise of autumn. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, love they to are. see it. <laughs> right here for they it. They have yeah. been happening. You can't tell me you don't like those. August. I mean, I you surely, surely you like those. I just like it to wait till like the first week of September. You know, just give me that last we're hold out of there. August. We're, you know? we're basically but, there. I mean, you have a porch. It's a nice porch. You've got a nice street view. You've got to like sitting there in the autumn temperatures, the pseudo autumn weather. <laughs> Surely. <laughs> I mean, it's nice. <laughs> I just <yeah>. wish. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish it would wait and bide mm. its time. Yeah. That's all. Man. Makes, makes mowing the grass pretty nice. You get those days. Well, I haven't mowed my grass Nary but one time this year because I yeah. hired You're the, uh, my neighbor elite social class. <laughs> I mean, I'm too fancy to mow my own lawn. I tell you what, though, speaking of lawns, I didn't mean to go here, but um, <laughs> I I have kind of slightly started to understand the cliched old man retiree lawn obsession. Are you? Not that I care that much. Like, I don't care that much. <laughs> I but, don't, don't get me wrong, yeah. people. But if I'm you, not that level. When you have nothing else to look at, it's like, for instance, I changed the, the mowing height. Yeah. It, I've kind of debated that and I've discovered that's the way to go. Issue being is that I've just noticed some random spots in my yard. It's like, I didn't do anything to that. I didn't do anything. <laughs> I didn't, I actually didn't do anything wrong. And it's like as if someone spilled some grass killer, like just right there. I'm like, where did that, why is that happening? That was not a problem four Ooh, months ago yeah and i don't know what's happening so yeah. I, I have just mystery patterns dog pee Th- not on my property <laughs> unless they've been creeping into my front yard which is i'd love to see it but it, <laughs> to my knowledge it's not happened oh love to see it yeah so, well that's a thing that happens that yeah will ruin the you know that's not great that sounds appearance of your... that sounds like chemically toxic Boy, when, you, when you say it that way do you know what else i learned was chemically toxic <laughs> that i had no idea about okay in any way shape or form before reading this book that i finished recently oh the sistine chapel i'm michelangelo painting the sistine chapel i read a book about rough it. business it was crazy yeah well, i had no idea took i just had no idea years. i figured it would you know it was just like oh it just took a long time but i mean the drama too the absolute insanity surrounding yeah. everything having to do with the roof of the Sistine Chapel, the, ce- the ceiling, I should say, the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And he'd never frescoed before. He had never performed the art, the particular art form of fresco yeah. before doing that. I and the Pope was just like, that. oh, no, do the Sistine Chapel. Oh, yeah. No All of deal. it. Just this, like, this, what? You've got to have some massive clout to be given that job. And you're like, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> oh, thanks for telling me. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, it was crazy. Michelangelo and the Pope ceiling, in mm-hmm. case anyone's interested. It is fascinating. And then you have the sequel. The altar wall. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very different. <laughs> yeah, well, the whole the whole thing. Yeah, was 
It's crazy. And the whole time, also, fun fact I didn't know, he had originally been hired to build Pope Julius's sepulcher. That was why he was there. That's what Rome. he wanted to do. It was what he I... wanted to do. He yeah. was obsessed with it. Yeah. I mean, he had all this marble quarried and brought <laughs> in, and then the Pope was like, nah, you know what? Never mind. Not so concerned about my resting place. I want this thing painted. Yeah. That's got to be very frustrating. <sighs> yeah. And then spending years of your life on your crazy. back doing this tough yeah. thing. Yeah. No thanks. Just wild. I mean, having to basically invent a new form of scaffold. It's crazy. It's crazy. You should read the book, you know? It's just... I'm sure every single time he's like figuring out the plans for the scaffolding, he's like, I could be doing marble instead. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice, Wouldn't if, I could just it do be nice if I could just do marble? Yeah. <laughs> Sculpture, which is my forte. <laughs> Meanwhile, I will do something that's not my forte and create one of the greatest works it's of like, art. It's like if someone's like, Ethan, would you uh, would you do the spreadsheet? Would you just, like, I'd like to do some spreadsheets today. I'm like, could I do a font instead? Could I do anything else? Could I just use a different font? Could I, could I, could I search some nice... Some you could nice... create a font for this spreadsheet. Oh, <laughs> I don't think this display font's going to work for that spreadsheet. Man, well, speaking of crazy Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, it's some, some great connective tissue. Uh, we actually received a listener-submitted question about post-mortem salvation. Ooh, oh, that's a sentence. Yeah, yeah. You know, can you receive salvation after you die? Is that a possibility if you mm. weren't saved before you died? Hmm. Particularly wondering if you got certain people like infants or mentally handicapped folks, those born in a vegetative state, things like that. Are they offered an opportunity for salvation after death? Uh, um, okay. wondering, can this concept be shot down or backed up mm. biblically? That's actually not what I expected. That's actually, I think it's, it's very, it's, it's a thoughtful topic. Uh, but when you it say is. Catholic, I'm like, oh, we're, we're going to like pray for the <laughs> departed soul. <laughs> Like, to guide them hence. <laughs> yes. Like the vault of candle, yeah. throw in your coins That's and right. pray that they may find That's the candle. We like, Purge their souls, oh, oh Lord. But no, okay. okay. Yeah, no, no. Slightly different tack here. So this is obviously a serious and weighty question for a lot of folks because... You know, especially I, you're thinking if you've experienced, say, you know, like the tragedy of yeah. an infant death. I mean, that's a very weighty question for of course. people. Very serious. And so with any question of significance like this, we obviously first ask ourselves if God has said anything directly. That's what we like to do here at the podcast. Check that out first, right? You know? Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, when it comes to the fate of those who don't, as far as we can tell possess the cognitive ability to profess faith in Christ, the Bible does not give us an emphatic direct answer to the question of postmortem salvation. Okay. Well, I was fairly confident about that. Uh, yes, yeah. It's it no less <laughs> disappointing to confirm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, that being said, the next question we should ask is, does Scripture say anything by which we might infer the fate of such persons in relation to the gospel? Because what you can logically infer from a biblical teaching is, in fact, itself a biblical teaching. Hmm. As we are fond of, well, I guess we don't remind one another of that frequently on the podcast, but, you <laughs> know, it, it is. It's a thing. It's a thing. So, yeah, and I think just as a heads up, what we'll discover is that this discussion won't steer us so much in the direction of post-mortem salvation, but I think it speaks to the same underlying issue. Okay. So, one of the classic approaches to this question at least as it regards babies, and I think then you can just apply these broadly to the same category of people that don't have the cognitive ability sure, okay. to profess faith. I think that's fair. Would you say that's a, say a fair probably. broad brush to yeah. paint this in? We'd be looking at an analysis, say, of like 2 Samuel 12. And this is where David's illegitimate son from his sin with Bathsheba dies. And David says, can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. So... 
many people will say that this verse teaches that young children, babies, and thus by our association, those without the cognitive ability to profess faith, go to heaven without a question when they die. And I think to an extent, I'd be willing to accept that as a legitimate interpretive option. Hmm. Two things to note. Uh, firstly, any scriptural figure expressing grief is, I actually think, weirdly heartening. Oh, yes. I think it's helpful to see it's it's humanizing. And that section of the chapter is is pretty rough, actually. It's it like, is. I mean, yeah. we just kind of like skim along by it because there's like not that many verses, but you're like, oh, man. Yeah, it it's, is pretty people intense. People are like, do we, do, we, do we tell him something? Do we? Yeah. I'm like, whoa, my, it's yeah. so real and like really yeah. uncomfortable. And then like he hears him whispering and he's, he's like, like okay. he's dead, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, secondly, I would imagine there's a good argument here. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure I fully understand. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I guess I don't know if I would just immediately draw the conclusions. I'm sure there's contention about this. Yeah, you're right. There, There is contention. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because some people want to quarrel about the fact that the ancient Hebrews didn't have the kind of fleshed out understanding of the afterlife that oh. we now have wow. uh, because of Christ. Okay. So when you think about the Hebrew understanding was probably limited to the the concept of a place called Sheol, yeah. which is the term they just for like the realm of the dead, generically. Okay. And that's it's kind of mysterious apart from that. And so therefore... If you're thinking in those terms, David couldn't have been talking about meeting his son in heaven or something like that. Okay. But the classic doctrine of inspiration, I am willing to argue, allows that David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, either could have had a clear understanding of eternity that transcended the typical understanding of his time, mm. or he could have spoken better than he knew. And now that we have the full revelation of the yeah. canon, we can look back and say, oh, yeah. he didn't that's a reference to now, like, oh, his son went to the realm of the dead, which is with the Lord, and he's saying, he's not going to come back to me, but I am going to go to him. So I can see that. Sure. I'm willing to totally grant that legitimately as an interpretive option, like I said before. But since there is quite a bit of wiggle room there, I'm leery about using that passage as the primary basis for answering a question like this. Yeah, it's fair. So I'd be willing to go to it sort of as a supporting. secondary or tertiary supporting text, yeah. I think. But I wouldn't base it mm -hmm. on that, which is, I think, the, the route that a lot of people default to. Because, I mean, we also haven't even touched on the way that Scripture consistently teaches that all people are born into sin and with a sinful nature. You know, passages like Psalm 51.5, Romans 3, 9 through 18. And that presents a myriad of problems and variables all its own, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to contend with the fact, okay, like if you're born with a sin nature, how does that interact with the fact of judgment, etc.? right? I mean, you just got a lot to contend with there. That said, this leads me to what I think is a more definitive way to approach this question, hopefully more helpful even. Okay. Because the Bible is certainly very clear that all people are accountable to God for their sin and rebellion, right? right. That's, yes. you, you can't read it very long without... You know, even if you start at the very beginning, you get three chapters in before you're like, oh, yep, you're going to have to die. <laughs> like, this is this is it. But you take passages like Romans 1 through 2, where Paul lays out this really airtight argument that effectively indicts all of humanity in sin, right? He says yeah. the Jews who had the very words of God himself couldn't keep God's law, and therefore they're under judgment. The Gentiles, who didn't have God's law but had the witness of all of creation and their conscience, but chose to worship creation rather than the creator that all this stuff was supposed to testify to, mm -hmm. now they're supposed to be under judgment for that. Right. So Paul asserts that everyone is damned apart from an active and living faith in Jesus Christ that results in a transformed life. Mm. So you have that laid out there. Given the context of this conversation, <laughs> that suddenly sounds pretty bleak. Yeah, that does. That's actually you're, not... to, you're, you're thinking like, oh my, like this is not good. But the crux as I see it in 
regards to this question, folks who can't cognitively profess faith, and how does that interrupt the fact that, you know, they die without being able to do that, without being able to process all these things? Right. Here's the crux, is in Romans 1 through 2 particularly, Paul makes clear that each of the groups he indicts is capable in one way or another of understanding God's revelation of himself to the world. And that is why they can be held accountable for their sin. The condition of being capable. Yes. So they can look and see, for example, even if they didn't have God's word, they can look at creation. Aristotle and Plato did this. Yeah, They were able to look and say, no, even beyond the so-called gods that we worship, Mm -hmm. there is a transcendent creator who had to have existed before that all and made it all. And we surely have to owe him something, you know? And so you have that going on, but even according to that knowledge, they don't worship properly. Mm. They don't live properly. Sure, Those who have God's law don't do it, but they are capable of understanding. They can process this stuff, Mm. right? Right. So that is the basis on which they are held accountable. So what I begin to infer is this. Does a mentally handicapped person or a young child or someone perhaps born in a vegetative state actually fall into either of those two categories? That's the question we're asking. Mm, okay. So if they cannot yet perceive or understand either special or general revelation, can they be held accountable for their sin insofar as they have no categories for understanding what that is? Exactly. So that means they're literally incapable of repenting, mm-hmm. literally incapable of professing faith. They don't possess the faculties to comprehend reality in the same way as other people do. And I think that changes the math. I so, would imagine. you know, I mean, now sadly, you know, if you get a tribal race in the Amazon that hasn't yet heard the gospel, they're still accountable to God because they can understand general revelation. In fact, most of those people even have a system of gods they worship and they know, yeah. oh, we've displeased these yeah. gods yeah. in some way. Like, we have to offer propitiation somehow. It's like they'll be condemned by their own, like, oh, you knew. Like, and you, you, you didn't obey. Whereas. You could have a mentally handicapped person who's just simply not in the same boat. They just cannot comprehend reality yeah. the same way. Right. So that leads me to a place where I cannot speak dogmatically about it, but I am comfortable offering hope. You know, if a Christian parent came to me and was like, what happened to my child? I'm like, yeah. I want to offer you reasonable grounds to say God is good and he will do good. Hmm. And you can trust that he will save his own. That's just because they weren't old enough to profess faith or they didn't possess the cognitive ability wouldn't prevent God from uniting them to himself Hmm. through the Holy Spirit, right? Okay. Because you think about that, this is actually something that uh, just came to mind. So (laughs) I made, you know, an episode subsequent fact check myself and be like, oh, that was almost heresy. But the thing about faith is faith is not a substance that saves you, right? Faith is an instrument that lays hold of Jesus. It's the instrument that the Holy Spirit in which unites us to Jesus. So it's not that like faith itself is this magical thing that saves you. It's the union with Christ that that instrument gives you. So that is to say like, yeah, okay, it's the instrument that you have to use (laughs) if you have the cognitive ability to do so. But if you don't have the cognitive ability, that wouldn't stop God, you know, Mm. from uniting himself to someone who couldn't utilize that instrument, I think is the argument I'm trying to make. And I think I'm biblically backed in doing that based on the inferences from passages like Romans 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. But also I'm now remembering, it's handy if I could have these in the notes until I I just remember them (laughs) in the spur of the moment. But the Westminster Confession of Faith has an article about infants. Really? And they say, elect infants will be brought into the kingdom of God. It's like even in the 1600s, they are saying, no, there's a category for saying, no, this happens. So anyway, 
to try and answer our original question directly, to get us back here, Scripture does not indicate that anyone is given another opportunity to receive Christ after death. Right, right. So the specific right. of post-mortem salvation, that concept, no. Mm-hmm. There's no indication of that. But neither infancy, mental handicaps, nor being born in a vegetative state can stop God from uniting to Christ those whom he will, I think is what I'm ultimately trying to do that. Yeah. Trying to say here Mm -hmm. and answer the question that way. And I think you can, with reasonable confidence, assert that. Yeah, I I definitely think there are threads that we see in these references that suggest that. I think that, at least with my limited understanding, is it does seem to me to be the most in line with the character of Christ. Yeah. So I find that relatively easy to swallow. Yeah. And obviously one day we shall shall know all things (laughs) in a place where there will be no sorrow or weeping or tears. So as one of the great saints of old once said, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner thing shall be well. Mm. But anyway, hopefully that's a a helpful, at least a beginning to an answer to the question here. And if people are interested, they can do, you know, further reading and research on their own and do some other digging. So, but at any rate, that's what we have here today. So thank you as always for listening. If you have any questions on this or any other topic, you can email us podcast at horizonschurch.net. Interact with us on social media. And if you did find this helpful and you want to leave us an honest five-star review in that Apple podcast platform. That'd be just swell. Swell. Swell, I'm yeah. ready for dandy. I know. I actually was about to say dandy, I could but sense then it. I, I switched. I, I was like, I'm going to change it up air. a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. I got you know, to keep us on our, our toes here. So, <laughs> Hey, thanks as always for listening, and we will catch you next time.